only 68% believe they should be in a local church. It should be 100%. Every believer, you cannot read the scriptures and believe that you can live the Christian life outside a local church. You can't. It's impossible. And think about so many churches, churches that you have been part of, churches that you have heard of, how many churches have been devastated and destroyed by heresy, false teachings, by greed, by pride, by complacency of church members, and also by a lack of a sound polity. And here's the thing, when things are going well, nobody cares about church polity. It's when something bad happens in the church that people are, okay, who has the authority to do that? Who can do that? But when things are going well, nobody cares about church polity. The same way that the family is related, is an outflow of the gospel, the church, how much more the church? Because the church as an institution is more important than the family. Every good king Every good king is concerned about how his people are governed. Right? Every good king is concerned by how his people are being governed. How much more our King Jesus? I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Let's read verse 27 through 30. Here's the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul, Philippians 1:27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now let's go to chapter 3 and just verse 20. Paul says, in contrasting with the earthly people, he says, But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Some of you know about the Ligonier, and they have uh, a research that they do, I think almost every year, called the state of theology. And they go through here in the West, you see how is the state of Christianity in America. And one of their findings, they say, <clears throat> given the Bible's assumption, commands, that those who claim to follow Christ will also join a local body of believers, it may be surprising that only 68% of evangelicals view church membership as obligatory. 
This may indicate the influence of an individualistic worldview within the church. 68% of people who, believe, who claim to be evangelicals, who claim to believe the Bible, who claim to love Jesus Christ, only 68% believe they should be in a local church. It should be 100%. Every believer, you cannot read the scriptures and believe that you can live the Christian life outside a local church. You can't. It's impossible. So they say this may indicate, indicate the influence of an individualistic worldview within the church. And it's important to understand that individualism is not simply the desire to be alone. Individualism is actually the idea that the self is magnified. My moral worthiness, worthiness is more important than everyone else's. Individualism is not a simple rejection of community because everybody loves community. Instead, it's the desire to have no one over you. Individualism is the rejection of pre-established structures over your life. So I was thinking how Man, the, the topic of church is not very exciting among Christians, especially in America. Uh, let's talk about something else. They don't want to talk about the church. And then I was thinking, how much less exciting would be the topic of church polity? <laughs> if church itself is not a very exciting subject, what do we do with church polity? That's even less exciting. Polity, that sounds like politics. Why are you bringing that to the church? So for the sake of clarity, let's define here briefly what church polity means. Because we're going to be covering that the next few sermons. Church polity refers to the management, organization, government, structures of authority in the life of the church. So church Polity refers to the conduct of the members in a local church. How church members, how a church is supposed to behave. Especially related to the authority that Christ has given to the church. So usually when you're dealing with church polity, we are dealing with who possesses authority over the process of membership and discipline. Who, who is in charge of welcoming new members? Who is in charge of excommunicating members? Or what are the roles of baptism and Lord, the Lord's Supper? Who decides who can be baptized, who can partake of the Lord's Supper? Polity creates leadership offices in the church, demarcates their responsibilities and jurisdictional boundaries. So what are the roles of the leaders in the church? What is the role of the congregation? That's what church polity deals with. Polity also dictates how significant decisions in the life of the church will be made. If we have big decisions in the life of the church, how and who will be making those decisions? That's related to church polity. And church polity delineates the nature of the relationship between a church and other churches. 
Are we supposed to be in a denomination where other churches have control over us? Is that how the Bible teaches about the nature of the church? Or if you are in association with other churches, how much power those churches have over the local church? So it's all a matter of church polity. And that's actually church polity that drives away and repels a lot of people. Right? When you start talking about authority in the life of the church, submitting to the church, that's where people are like, no thank you. That's exactly why I don't like the institutional church. We have this idea that Christianity is me and Jesus. And that the church exists just to fulfill my happiness. So any concept of authority, responsibility, accountability, ah, no thank you. Jonathan Lehman, he writes, Individualism is not rooted in being anti-community. Everyone loves the idea of community, except maybe the hermit. Rather, it roots in being anti-authority. Oh, I will gladly hang out with you, so long as you don't tell me who I have to be or what I have to do. That's where church polity comes. And we often don't hear, we don't talk about church polity, but that's vital for the Christian life. Because you think about, you cannot live the Christian life apart from the local church, and you cannot have a local church apart from church polity. I fully believe that the gospel is the one that birthed the church. Remember, the gospel is fundamental for the being of the church. There is no church apart from the gospel. But church polity is an outflow of the gospel. And that's vital for the well-being of the church. So, I would say that the church is brought to life through the gospel... And the continuation of her life is dependent on how that same gospel structures and informs the church's polity. So the gospel not only births the church, but sustains the church as the church finds its ways of structuring herself according to God's word. And I think about how the church is to reflect the triune God, and our God is a God of order. Look at creation. He's a God of order. Even in creation, he established roles, governing authorities. You move to Israel under the old covenant, and there are structures. God is a God of structure and order. You can turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look what Paul says. I hope to come to you soon. So that's 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. After he gave instructions about pastors, elders, deacons in the church. And now he explains something very important. He says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how what? One must, one ought to behave or conduct oneself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Note, note that Paul is, is comparing the church to a household. 
And every healthy household has rules and structures, amen? It's chaotic to go to a house where there are no rules, where the kids are in charge of the parents. It's just chaos. We must have rules. Danny Burke, he notes that in, in 1 Timothy 3, he says, Just as a household has a certain order to it, with husbands leading and wives helping and children obeying, so also God's household has a certain order to it. There are elders, there are deacons, there are members. And he says, since this is God's house, God defines the offices of the church and the roles and responsibilities of each office. This is not something that we are to make up as we go along. This is God's house, God's order, and God's way of doing things. Amen? It's God's place. We don't come up and create our own idea of how a church must be run. God decides how a church is supposed to be structured. And as we look at 1 Timothy 3, we see that there is a proper way of conducting oneself in an improper way of governing, structuring ourselves in the church. And church polity plays a vital role in delineating the boundaries for a well-structured church, for us to behave well in the church. That's what church polity does. It helps us, guides us, so we can conduct ourselves well according to God's standards. And I think about the Apostle Paul. He's a big fan of structuring, organizing the church, church polity. Think about the Apostle Paul constantly striving to properly organize the churches. All his letters are, in one way or another, to help churches to be better what? organized. All his letters are related to the organization of the church. Even the letters that are personal to T Titus and Timothy and Philemon, they are still affecting the structures of the church. So Paul appointed elders in churches. He recognized elders, deacons, and the members of the church. Paul speaks and commands leaders to be over the church. He commands the whole congregation, the authority of the church, to welcome and excommunicate members. So he knew very well how important it was for the church to have a sound polity. And think about so many churches, churches that you have been part of, churches that you have heard of, how many churches have been devastated and destroyed by heresy, false teachings, by greed, by pride, by complacency of church members, and also by a lack of a sound polity. A faithful biblical polity can help a church to protect the gospel, walk in unity, and act properly, especially in the midst of the storm. So I would say, and here is important, that church polity will not, will not protect the church from all sins by no means. I love what Tom Chantry says. He notes that faithless men will always find their way around any set of rules. But biblical polity is a gift of Christ to his bride and helps us, serves us to better protect the gospel as a church. And let me give you a, a, a kind of recent example of how church polity is important. Uh, many of you have heard about Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. 
I don't know how many of you maybe have come from an X29 church. X29 was a ministry developed from Mark Driscoll and the Marcio Church. Uh, and here's the thing. When things are going well, nobody cares about church polity. It's when something bad happens in the church that people are, okay, who has the authority to do that? Who can do that? But when things are going well, nobody cares about church polity. As you can see, with Marcy, a poor, unbiblical church polity can, can be very damaging. Sarah Zilstra, she writes an article about Marshall, and she says, Departing Marshall's members, Marshall members hit local churches like a tsunami in the fall of 2014. The first Sunday after the closure was announced, Adam Sinnett's 250-member downtown Cornerstone Church saw nearly 100 visitors. Imagine that. <clears throat> And then he says, I had never been asked by so many people that I don't know before I even heard their names about bylaws, pastoral pay structures in my life. He's saying that he had never heard so many visitors coming to his church and instead of saying, hi, my name is John, it's, hey, how is the polity in this church? How are you guys structured? Why? Because they just went through a nightmare. It continues. Sinnott's church plant was just three years old and he didn't have the resources to answer everyone's questions, which increased their suspicion of us unnecessarily. We were still in our diapers as a church and they were wondering why we did not have our polity all polished. They had a polity, but maybe it was not so well clearly established and written. And the study about Marcy, we see that they changed polities throughout the years. And more and more the power came to be concentrated, not with the church as a whole, but with whom? One man. One man. Suddenly this one man has authority to fire, hire, do whatever he wants with the church. And then suddenly the church no longer has leaders and congregation dealing with subjects so they have an outside board of men and the outside board actually has no power over the church. Sadly, many churches were devastated by the fall of Marcio. And the same we know of stories with congregations where a small group of members in the church, a lot of times we talk about one pastor destroying the church, but how many of us have known of churches where a group of members Try to usurp the authority, not only of the pastor, but of the whole congregation, and end up destroying a church. So, polity will never save anyone, but it's God's gracious means to keep a local church healthy as much as we can. And it's worthy of our study. Amen? So that's what we're going to be doing. Here's the outline of this morning's sermon, and I need to hurry, because that was just the introduction. So we're going to be looking at the historical importance of church polity and then the what and why of church polity. It's fascinating to think about denominations that we have and how many churches actually bear their names, the denominations bear their names because of church polity. 
You have the Anglican Church, you have the Presbyterian Church, you have Baptist Church. And it's all related to some sort of polity, how the church is structured. One of the major aspects of the Reformation was the structure and the governing authority of the church. Think about one of the major things that the Reformation was accomplishing as they had their Bibles was a better polity in the church. Why? How is the Roman Catholic Church structured? You have the Pope over the whole church. Then you move to the Anglican Church. You don't have the Pope, but you have who? The King of England in charge of the church. And the Reformation was brought so people could rethink and restructure and go back to the New Testament. Because when you look to the New Testament, you see that the local churches were independent from one another. There was not one church over the other churches. The local churches were made up of believers only who had been baptized upon their profession. Local churches had pastors to lead the church. The local church had authority to excommunicate and receive members. But what happened to the church? Early, early, early in church history, there is a departure from the biblical norm. We could say, starting with Ignatius, second century, there you, start, you start having a, a separation, and suddenly you have a bishop over the church. And then especially once Constantine is declared to be a Christian, and he makes the whole Christianity as the main religion of Rome. So suddenly the church belongs to Rome, Rome belongs to the church, and the whole structure of the church is a mess, completely departed from the New Testament. And that's what the Reformation accomplishes, that the first reformers, you think about Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and they start the process of reforming the polity of the church, but I believe that they never continued the reformation of polity. It was the early Baptists coming from the separatist Puritan movement who continued reforming the polity of the church. And that was always the heart of the first Baptists, to bring to the church what Christ wants as the form of government for the church. You think about the early Baptists, they held a lot of the same doctrines. That's why we can talk about our unity with Presbyterians or Anglicans or Lutherans as we hold to the same gospel, meaning we hold to the historical Orthodox teaching of the Trinity, the full deity deity and humanity of Christ, the virgin birth of Jesus, the inspiration of the Scriptures, the eternality of heaven and hell. Those are doctrines that hold us together with all other Christians. But we saw that one aspect of the Baptists was that they were separatists. They were separating themselves from that idea that the church is connected to the government. What makes Baptist Baptist was this fighting for church polity. Baptism. Who composes the church? Is the church composed of believers and unbelievers or believers only? Who should be baptized? Who should be ruling the church? Who has the keys of the church? So, Michael Haken, he writes, Baptists Baptists were birthed in the matrix of Puritanism. That 16th and 17th century movement of reform and renewal. The genesis of Puritanism between the 1560s and the 1580s was deeply intertwined with the questions of worship and polity. In fact, 
Puritanism, the Puritans, in its various ecclesial manifestations, was confident that there was a blueprint for polity and worship in the New Testament. Amen? So, the early Baptists were deeply concerned with God's glory in the church through how the church was structured. And we have the same desire to glorify the Lord by looking at the New Testament and seeing, okay, how does the Lord Jesus want His new covenant community, the church, to be organized, established? Let's move to the what and why. So what? What is church polity? We talk a little bit about that, but let's review. Church polity basically informs us why we do things the way that we do as a church. That's basically the answer for church polity. Why do we do that? Why do we, we act like that? Why do we vote on certain things? Why do we don't vote in certain things? That's all related to church polity. But once again, we define that as... And I, I, I'm, you don't need to take ferocious notes. I'll send you my notes to you because there's a lot here. Uh, we can define polity as management, organization, government, structure of authority in the life of the church. Remember we, said, we, we saw earlier that the church's polity establishes who possesses authority over the process of membership. That's the who. The congregation has the authority of who. Who is part of the church? Who should not be in church? Christ has given this authority to the local church. Not to pastors only, but to the whole church. The church decides who. Who, who, who has the power to exclude people from the ordinances? The church has. Polity creates leadership offices in the church. Demarcates their responsibilities, re, re, jurisdictional boundaries. Polity also dictates how significant decisions in the life of the church will be made. So, for example, new members, excommunication, appointment or removal of leaders, church discipline, major financial decisions in the church. Who makes these decisions? The senior pastor? The elders? The deacons? The church? That's a question of polity. That's very important. What does the Bible tell us? So why? Why should we be studying these things? Right? Isn't there anything more important to talk about? Why you talk about church polity? Give us the gospel. I think it's interesting because a lot of times if I was here preaching about family, people would be all fine. Everybody loves. If I, if I was here on this pulpit preaching about family, going through Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 and talk about family, everybody would be okay. Giving the roles and the structures of a family. But then when we move to talk about the roles and the structures of a church, people are like, oh, well, why are you talking about that? Oh, because it's part of the gospel. The same way that the family is related, is an outflow of the gospel. The church, how much more the church? Because the church as an institution is more important than the family. And why would we not be eager and excited to know about the structures of the church? So church government is not essential for salvation like the gospel. 
But it's essential for guarding that gospel from one generation to the next. As well as as for growing a gospel people from immaturity to maturity. Let me ask you, what is the difference between a Bible study and a church? What is the difference between a Bible study and a church? So think about, you have your friends from different churches, some don't even go to church, and then you have your Bible study. When does that Bible study become a church? When does that Bible study become? Because that's not a church. When does that Bible study become a church? When does a, a, a fellowship group that meets in your home, I suppose you're having a Bible study, have fellowship, the fellowship group, people, families come to your home, you're, when does that fellowship become a church? The answer is polity. Polity. When you have structure, when you have rules, putting people in order. I like what Lehman says. He says, something like a Bible study becomes a church when everyone steps into a polity, a governing institutional structure that impacts everyone, every person's identity and governs their relationship with one another and with others. The difference between a Bible study and a church is massive and crucial. It's authority. Christ has given authority to the local church, not to a Bible study. And a church is an assembly of God's covenantal people who have, out of their regeneration, new understanding, voluntarily decide to covenant with other Christians for in membership and accountability and responsibility and duties and privileges in a church. It's a massive difference between a Bible study and a church. I would say that also the polity is basically the nexus between the universal church and the local church. How do you get people from the universal church into the local church? By having a structure in a local church. You need to have that. The Lord has given structure, orders, and authority to the church. No parachurch organization, no Bible study, no BSF, no VBS have the authority that Jesus has given to the church. And think about how the church is instituted. You have basically two steps how Jesus creates his church. The first step would be the invisible one when he regenerates someone. Think about Michael here. The Lord saved him. The Holy Spirit came and changed his heart and he believed in the gospel. And by believing the gospel alone, he's already part of the universal church. But nobody's supposed to be part of the, this invisible body. Jesus doesn't want that. All his people are supposed to be invisible, palpable, touchable bodies. So that's the second step, how he forms the church. First saving, placing the universal church, and then that is going to be manifested in a local church. And each local church must be structured, organized, having rules and order. So the second step involves the mechanism of a group of Christians assembling together, having borders. 
having borders, ways of identifying who belongs and who does not belong. One of the greatest problems in the U.S. right now is the border problem. Letting people come that should not be here. You've got to have structures. Any decent civilization knows who belongs to that place and who does not belong to that place. We are a people. A people of his own possession. A people has borders. We know who belongs to that people. And that's through polity. So all Christians are part of the universal church by faith. But the members of that church become members of the local church by faith and order. <laughs> the universal church is going to be manifested in the local churches through the local body having believers who organize themselves in order, in biblical ways. So, we all here are thankful for parachurch organizations, but it's not the church. Amen? Jesus never gave the keys of the kingdom to parachurch organizations. Awana, Bible Study Fellowship, BSF, Celebrate Recovery, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Vacation Bible Study, The Navigators, Young Life, you name it. It's not the church. They don't have the authority of the church. They cannot excommunicate people. They cannot be baptizing people. They don't have the authority of Christ to be serving the Lord's Supper. They don't have the power to place pastors. The same thing with the universal church. Oh, I belong to the universal church. So nobody can excommunicate you if you're living in sin. Oh, that's great. Do you see? There's no way. You've got to be where Christ has appointed as the place where He will be manifesting His power, love, and authority. And that is the church. So in Matthew 16, Jesus says that He's giving the keys. And what do the keys represent? Authority, power. He's giving that to His church. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. And then the rest of the New Testament is just showing us how the church is supposed to exercise that authority that Christ has given to the church. Well, that's why it's so important for us to know about church polity. When was the last time you heard a sermon on church polity? <laughs> so, we're going to see more of this, but what are some of the different ways that the churches organize themselves? What, what are some of the different polities that we have? Okay. Uh, Historically, we have had four major different forms of church government. Uh, the first one would be the Episcopalian. And this, this pictures here are coming from John Hammett, Biblical Foundations for Baptist Churches. And I'm going to be quick here. I'll try to cover that when we, we come to the topic of congregationalism. Uh, so you have the Anglican Church or the Methodist Church too, that's part. The Methodists come from the Anglican. Think about the Wesleys coming from the, the Anglican Church. And that is that you have one bishop, one man over the whole church. Very similar to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the Presbyterian is a little different because then you have a group of men who are actually in charge of the church. So that will be the Presbyterian type of government where you have the 
presbytery, presbyteros, where you have elders. That's the, the, the Greek word. And you have this assembly of elders who are actually in charge. So each local church actually will be ultimately in connection with the assembly of these elders in charge of the church. Uh, there is another one that he doesn't have there, but is the independent, the independent churches, like Jonathan Edwards, John Owen. Those were independents. And the independent is, is fascinating because you can have independent churches that are just like the Episcopalian. So they're independent, meaning that they're not connected to that denomination. But the church itself, the local church, the independent church, is basically an Episcopalian church where you have one bishop over all the, the members. And then you have other independent churches that they govern themselves as the Presbyterian church, where you have the presbytery ruling the church. That's what we call elder rule church. And then you have independent churches who are congregationalists. Uh, and, and the other one, the last one, is the congregational type of polity, where ultimately the power of major decisions in the life of the church belongs to the congregational itself. So you have the congregation, Christ gave the keys to the church. The church has the authority to do the major decisions of who will be welcome, who will be excluded, who should be the leaders in this church, who is preaching the true gospel in this church, who is not preaching the true gospel and you need to discipline in the church. The congregation. But it's not as... Because some, some people are not going to talk about that. They have this messed up idea that congregationalism means this worldview of democracy. So everybody feels that they can say whatever they want and everybody should listen to them. That's not it. Because Christ has given pastors, elders, to lead the church, to help the congregation to exercise the authority that they have. And pastors have a sphere of authority and the church have a sphere of authority. So that's very important for us to keep in mind. And that's where we're going to look at more because that's the type of church that we are. We are a congregational church. A pastor or elder-led congregational church. I think that's the most biblical. We're going to see that. I think especially as we are tracing the development of God's dealing with His people from the Old to the New Covenant, it makes so much sense to see now the church as these new people we no longer need the mediators that we had before under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, we needed a king. We needed a priest to be between God and the people. Now we have Christ who is our perfect mediator and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling all the congregation. There is no longer the one man or one group of men who stands between in a very unique way, like no other way between God's covenant people and God Himself. No. The new covenant, all the members are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And because the church is composed of Spirit-empowered members, whose mediator is Jesus, each local church is to be able to be the final sphere of authority under Christ to pass judgment on matters of membership, ordinances, protection of the gospel, and appointment of leaders. We're going to cover that more. I just want to prepare you for what's coming. And I think it's important because, especially after traumatic situations, people tend to go to an extreme. So if you have an issue at a congregational church, then suddenly you want to run to a church where you have 
pastors to deal with that. Now, take, take that power from the congregation because that was a mess. At the same time, you're in a church where you have this authoritarian leadership. You run to a place where you no longer have that. Then you suddenly think that you don't need anybody over you. So we need to be biblical in our understanding. Amen? So, let's move to the last part here. And that is our heavenly, heavenly citizenship and church polity. The English word polity actually comes from the French, and the French comes from the Greek. Politeia, citizenship, government, polis, city, right? So, remember, a city, especially in, in, in ancient Greece, a city had to have structures, how to be governed. And that's where we come with the polity, politics related to government, structure. It's interesting how Paul used this word, especially in the Philippian letter, because you remember that Philippi was a colony, a colony from Rome, and they were very prideful of their status. And Paul reminds them that actually, they are a much better colony as Christians than colony of Rome. So in Philippians 3.20, he reminds them that our what? Polytelma. Polytelma. From we have polis. Polytelma. Referring to the commonwealth, a state. And he's reminding them that actually their polytelma is not from Rome, but it's from heaven. From the Lord Jesus Christ. And the text that we read earlier, it's very revealing what Paul says, Philippians 1, verse 27. It's a very rare word, it's just used twice in the New Testament. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the, the word there, worthy of the gospel, is not that we can do things to be worthy of the gospel. Actually, the, the Greek word is a beautiful word. That it's like you're putting the balance. So you have the gospel here in the scales. And our lives must match that. Okay? Our lives must match what the gospel declares. That's what Paul is saying. But he used the word there, only let your manner of life, politomai. We have polis, polity, unique word, Referring to live as a citizen, discharge one's obligation as a citizen, or to maintain a standard of conduct befitting a citizen. It's amazing that Paul pick, he, he picks this word that's just used one other time in the New Testament. He gets this word here to get the attention of the Philippians because they loved, they loved Rome's Polity. As a colony from Rome, Philippi had a polity. They had to be structured just like Rome. There was supposed to be a mini Rome in Macedonia, in Greece. So you'd go to Philippi and you'd see a little Rome out of Italy, now in Greece. So they had a polity, they had a way of living, structuring themselves. Caesar had implemented orders 
as to how those in Philippi were supposed to walk, behave, conduct themselves. If Philippi forsook Rome's polity, the city would lose the privilege of being a mini-Rome. And Paul now applies that same principle to the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings, when the gospel comes, it brings the people a new birth, a new citizenship, a new kingdom, and with it, a new polity. A way of conducting, structuring out of the kingdom of darkness, now into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Frank Thuman, he says, if the word politomai does have political connotations, then Paul is telling the Philippians to govern their lives according to the gospel rather than according to the society's, uh, society's requirements for being a good citizen of Philippi. And how many churches are trying to organize themselves in order to please the world? And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Your polity comes from heaven. The church is a political institution. We don't like to think about that. The church is a political institution, meaning related to government. Where does the church come from? God, who is the king, Jesus Christ, the kingdom, kingdom of God. That's political word. The kingdom of God. To say Jesus is Lord is a massive political statement. Millions of Christians have been martyred by kings and political rulers because of their commitment to King Jesus. And polity is related to the politics, the government of the kingdom of Christ. So you see why Think about the early Baptists, how dangerous it was for them to become Baptists. Because they were declaring, no, 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 no. The church belongs to Christ. The polity of the church is not supposed to be matching England's polity. It's supposed to match the scriptures. We have a king, and this king whose name is Jesus, he gives orders and he keeps his people in order. Every good king Every good king is concerned about how his people are governed. Right? Every good king is concerned by how his people are being governed. How much more our King Jesus. So church polity is about how King Jesus delegates and manifests his authority to his colonies of heaven on earth, and that is the church. Each little embassy, each local church, is to be structured according to Christ's commands. And it's fascinating, you can go back there to Philippians 1. Go to Philippians 1, 27. Because <clears throat> Paul says, Only let your manner, remember, your conduct, your behavior according to your citizenship here, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are what? Is he talking to pastors only? Who is he talking to? The whole church. The whole church has an obligation to stand in unity, to defend the gospel, to strive side by side. So you see how the authority is given to the whole congregation. 
The church has the authority to preserve the unity and defend the gospel. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are, referring to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not what? A people. But now you are what? God's people. Think about the church as a holy nation, a people. All these descriptions of the church implying, they imply management, organization, government. To be God's people means that some criteria exist for dis- distinguishing members from non-members, right? If you have a people, you know who belongs to that people and who do not belong to that people. And that's what polity helps us. If there are no criteria for membership, no rules for governing behavior, no self-conscious sense of shared identity, no common pur- purpose, no guiding objective, then there is no group. There's just a bunch of individuals. And that's not the church. The church is coming from heaven and we are supposed to resemble what God wants us for each one of His local churches to resemble. The government, how He wants I love what Mark Dever says. He says, Knowing that God's word means to regulate our lives together, even in the organization of our churches, church polity, it frees us, it sets us free from the tyranny of the latest fashion. And you think about all human authority, all human authority is derived from whom? God. All authority belongs to God. God is the perfect source, the perfect representation, and the perfect manifestation of a good and beautiful authority. There is always blessing when we follow God's standards of authority. On the other hand, abuse of authority is heinous. It perverts the character of God. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 5, you can open your Bibles there, Jeremiah 5, verse 30 and 31. Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31. It says, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their own direction. Or the NIV says, and the priests rule by their own authority. My people love to have it. So. And that's why church polity is so important. All use of authority will either display the glory of God or will dishonor God. All use of authority, parents, presidents, governors, church, all use of authority will either display God's glory or will bring Him dishonor. And our glorious and gracious triune God, He means to bless His people through the structures of authority in the church.
So, brothers and sisters, to finish here, church polity might sound mundane, might sound worldly, unchristian, but when we understand how precious the church is, how vital the church is in God's economy of redemption, once we see how beautiful the church is in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, then actually church polity becomes something that we want to strive to understand because we want to bring glory to Him. The church is His. He's the head of the church. And yet He has given authority, spheres of authority to the church. And we need to understand that. So instead of running away from the structures of the authority of the church, so many people run away from the structures of authority in a church. No! No, no, instead of running away, we should run into the Scriptures to see what the Bible teaches how a church is supposed to be structured. And when a church joyfully, soberly embraces the truth that all the members are vital, all the members are vital in exercising Christ's authority in the areas that Jesus has given His people jurisdiction over, then Christians start to take in the church much more seriously. When you understand that you're not here as spectator, when you understand that as a member of this church, you have a role to play, a vital role that you as a body, all the members of this body, you have an authority that Christ has given you. You have an obligation. Man, when you understand that, that changes completely. You know the problem why we have so many people using, and they're just consumers of the church. Oh, I'm going to stay there for a little bit, then I go to another church. If I like the music here, I stay there. If I don't like the preaching, I move to another one. It's because they don't understand the role that each member has in the life of a local church. As we gather together as one body, all the members put together, well instructed. And then you see, then you stand in awe, and then you start loving what Christ loves, and that is His people. So may the Lord help us. Amen. Father, we come before you we I pray Lord the things that I said uh, are wrong I pray that you just erase that but the things that I said they are true biblical coming from you I pray that they would strike our hearts pierce us help us we want to know we want to know what you have taught us about your church how we are supposed to conduct ourselves. We must and we want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, that matches the gospel. We want to have a church that's well structured. We want to have a church that obeys you, Lord. So help us. We need you. And we know that there is blessing when we obey you. And we want to be blessed by you. We want to have your smiling face upon us. And Lord, for those here who do not know you, and all these things might sound strange, I pray that you rescue them and bring them to the feet of King Jesus. And that they would love the church. And they would give themselves to the church because that's the best investment that we have. 
God be the glory in the church.